This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Something by Hilaire Belloc. Chapter 7 On the Hotel at Palma and a Proposed Guidebook. The hotel at Palma is like the Savoy, but the cooking is a great deal better. It's large and new, its decorations are in the modern style with twiddly lines, its luxury is greater than that of its London competitor, it has an eager, willing porter and a delightful landlord. You do what you like in it, and there are books to read. One of these books was an English guidebook. I read it. It was full of lies, so gross and palpable that I told my host how abominably it traduced his country, and advised him to beat the book well, and then burn it over a slow fire. It said that the people were superstitious. It is false. They have no taboo about days. They play about on Sundays. They have no taboo about drinks. They drink what they feel inclined, which is wine, when they feel inclined, which is when they are thirsty. They have no taboo book, Bible or Koran, no damned psychical rubbish, no damned folklore, no triply damned mumbo-jumbo of social ranks. Kind, really good, simple-minded dukes would have a devil of a time in Palma. Avoid it, my dears, keep away. If anything, the people of Palma have not quite enough superstition. They play there for love, money, and amusement. No taboo, talking of love, about love. The book said they were poor. The populace is three or four times as rich as ours. They own their own excellent houses and their own land. No one has but all the meat and fruit and vegetables and wine he wants, and usually draught animals and musical instruments as well. In fact, the book told the most frightful lies, and was a worthy companion to other guidebooks. It moved me to plan a guidebook of my own, in which the truth should be told about all places I know. It should be called Guide to Northumberland, Sussex, Chelsea, the French Frontier, South Holland, the Solent, Lombardy, the North Sea, and Rome, with a chapter on part of Cheshire, and some remarks on the United States of America. In this book the fault would lie in its too great scrappiness but the merit in its exactitude. Thus I would inform the reader that the best time to sleep in Siena is from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, and that the best place to sleep is the north side of St. Dominic's ugly brick church there. Again I would tell him that a man who keeps the Turk's head at Vallone in Normandy was only outwardly and professedly an atheist, but really and inwardly a papist. I would tell him that it sometimes snowed in Lombardy in June, for I have seen it, and that any fool can cross the Alps blindfold, and that the sea is usually calm, not rough, and that the people of Dax are the most horrible in all France, and that Lourdes, contrary to the general opinion, does work miracles, for I have seen them. I would also tell him of the place at Toulouse, where the harper plays to you during the dinner, and of the grubby little inn at Ternusen on the Scheldt, where they charge you just anything they please for anything, five shillings for a bit of bread, or half a crown for a napkin. All these things, and hundreds of others of the same kind, would I put in my book. 
and at the end should be a list of all hotels in Europe where, at the date of publication, the landlord was nice, for it is the character of landlords which makes all the difference, and that changes, as do all human things. There you could see first, like a sort of primate of hotels, the railway hotel at York, then the inn at Le Brayer, or in Landes, then the Swan at Petorth, its mild ale, and the white heart of Storrington, then the rest of them, all the six or seven hundred of them, from the elephant of Chateau Thierry to the feathers of Ludlow, a truly noble remainder of what was once England. The feathers of Ludlow, where the beds are of honest wood with curtains to them, and where a man may drink half the night with the citizens to the success of their engines and the putting out of all fires. For there are in West England three little inns in three little towns, all in a line, and all beginning with an L, Ledbury, Ludlow, and Leominster, all with feathers, all with orchids round, and I cannot tell which is the best. Then my guidebook will go on to talk about harbours. It will prove how almost every harbour was impossible to make in a little boat, but it would describe the difficulties of each so that a man in a little boat might possibly make them. It would describe the rush of the tide outside Margate, and the still more dangerous rush outside Shoreham, and the absurd bar at Littlehampton that strikes out of the sea, and the place to lie in Newhaven, and how not to stick upon the platters outside Harwich, and the very torturous entry to Poole, and the long channel into Christchurch past Hengensbury Head, and the enormous tides of South Wales, and why you often have to beach at Britain Ferry, and the terrible difficulty of mooring in Great Yarmouth, and sad changes of Little Yarmouth, and the single black boy at Calais, which is much too far out to be of any use. And how to wait for the tide in the swim, and also what no book has ever yet given, an exact direction of the way in which one may roll into Orford Haven, on top of a spring tide if one has luck, and how if one has no luck one sticks on the gravel and is pounded to pieces. Then my guidebook would go on to tell of the way in which to make men pleasant to you according to their climate and country, of how you must not hurry the people of Aragon, and how it is your duty to bargain with the people of Catalonia, and how it is impossible to eat at Daraca, and how careful one must be with gloomy men who keep inns at the very top of glens, especially if they're silent, under Chavoy, and how one must not talk religion when one has got over the Scotch border, with some remarks about Jedburgh and the terrible things that happened to a man there who would talk religion, though he had been plainly warned. Then my guidebook would go on to tell how one should climb ordinary mountains, and why one should avoid feats, and how to lose a guide, which is a very valuable art, for when you have lost your guide you need not pay him. My book will also have a note, for it's hardly worth a chapter, on the proper method of frightening sheepdogs when they attempt to kill you with their teeth upon the everlasting hills. This, my good and new guidebook, oh, how it blossoms in my head as I write, would further describe what trains to go to what places, and in what way the boredom of them can best be overcome, and which expresses really go fast, and I should have a footnote describing those lines of steamers on which one can travel for nothing if one puts a sufficiently bold face upon the matter. My guidebook would have directions for the pacifying of Arabs, 
a trick which I learned from a past master, a little way east of Batana in the year 1905. I will also explain how one can tell time by the stars and by the shadow of the sun, upon what sort of food one can last longest and how best to carry it, and what rites propitiate, if they are solemnized in a due order, the half-malicious fairies which haunt men when they are lost in lonely valleys, right up under the high peaks of the world. And my book should have a whole chapter devoted to Ulysses. For you must know that one day I came into Narbonne, where I had never been before, and I saw written up in large letters upon a big ugly house, Ulysses, lodging for man and beast. So I went in and saw the master, who had a round bullet head and cropped hair, and I said to him, What, are you landed then after all your journeys, and do I find you at last, you of whom I have read so much and seen so little? But with an oath he refused me lodging this tale is true as would be every other tale in my book what a fine book it will be the end of chapter seven